in the Bible. And as we've been looking at these prophecies, we've been seeing that God knows the beginning from the end. Amen? How many of you know that? God knows the beginning of your life from the end of your life and generations to come. What you're doing now has impact not only for your life, but generations to come and eternity. God is using you in eternal realms. How many of you believe that? Just little old you. Little old you is being used in eternal dimensions. The people you talk to, the things you do, have eternal ramifications. That's why we have got to get out there, right? Because an enemy knows that. An enemy is working with eternal proportions as well. And so this is a battle that is on an eternal front. And he wants to damn people and bring them under the judgment of God for eternity. We have the ability to bring the Word of God to them so that they would come alive for eternal life. Now that's an awesome thing. So God knows the beginning from the end. We took a look at a number of Old Testament prophecies in which God worked and moved in amazing ways of fulfillment. Last week we looked at Daniel 11 and we saw that in human history God had fulfilled every little jot and tittle that was spoken uh, into that prophecy through the nations. And so tonight it is fitting that before Christmas we want to look at another portion of prophecy that God spoke of and this is the prophecy concerning the Messiah, our salvation, Jesus Christ. And so let's take a look at seven prophecies concerning the birth of Messiah, okay? The birth of Jesus. And so as we take a look at this, we start with number one. And number one is this, the prophecy that came all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 31, when God spoke to Abraham. God said this, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And here it is, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Now how did that eventually come to pass? How is it that Abraham, through him, was able to bless all nations? Because what came through Abraham was his son Isaac, was his son Jacob, right? And Jacob is also called Israel, who had 12 sons. And that family became a nation, and out of that nation came a king, David, and out of that lineage came Jesus the Messiah. So the promise was fulfilled to Abraham unto Messiah. Genesis 17, God speaks to Abraham and says, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generation for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. All right? Now, how was that fulfilled in Jesus Christ? Well, Matthew 1.1, we take a look at the genealogy. In Matthew, it tells us Mary's genealogy. And how many of you ever skip over those genealogies? It's like begat, 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 you know, if you're reading King James. And uh, it just doesn't seem that important. It's extremely important, and that's why Matthew put it in there, so that you could see that Jesus was, in fact, a fulfillment of the prophecy to Israel, and specifically to Abraham, that Messiah would come and be the seed of Abraham, the heir of Abraham. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 3.29, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and the seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one, to your seed, who is 
Christ, the Messiah, Jesus. So what Paul tells us concerning the promise that the Messiah would be of the seed of Abraham, that when God made that promise and said, your seed shall be the blessing of many nations, and that it's unto your seed that I am giving this everlasting covenant, God was looking through time and considering that he was speaking this promise into the earth unto Jesus. Now what you need to understand is this, that God had made man in authority over the earth. Yet man had fallen, didn't he? And he became subject to sin and death. God wanted to redeem the earth. And so he needed to speak his will into the purposes of man. And so he found a man who was willing, and that was Abraham. And he made covenant with Abraham so that heaven and earth could be in agreement once again. All right? And by doing this, he could then speak his will into the earth by making covenant and promise to Abraham. And he was speaking that into, it's called the promise of Abraham, speaking it into Abraham. And then everything that took place from Abraham all the way to Christ were promises of God's purpose and will for mankind. He spoke them into Israel, gave them covenant promises. Whenever they'd fail, he'd give them a promise. And so he was speaking it. What he was doing was downloading a zip file, okay, for you computer buffs. I was going to say geek, but I don't want to offend anyone. All right, What he was doing was downloading a zip file of all his promises, that no one could fulfill. No one could keep them. Israel couldn't keep them, could they? But yet he'd keep speaking through human beings, making promises, being in covenant. Devil didn't mind. He knew that all of them were sinners and failures anyways. But God, in his wisdom, was downloading all these promises into the will of the promise of Abraham. And by doing this, then when his seed came, Jesus was the one who could open the zip file. When Jesus said, it is finished, that file went boof. And every promise God had ever made became activated in the earth realm. Because Jesus is the seed of Abraham. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. And that's one of the prophecies that Messiah would be of Abraham. Now let's go on. Number two. Second prophecy is that he would be of the tribe of Judah. When, um, when Jacob or Israel was blessing his children, he spoke over Judah, his son, and said in Genesis 49.10, the scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until whose right it is comes and the obedience of the people belongs to him. Now that's a prophecy of Messiah. He's saying that the rulership and the authority in the earth and over the tribe of Israel is going to come through Judah, the tribe of Judah. He said the scepter. Now that is a kingly rule or staff. Now how many of you know what the image of of Judah is? What's the symbol for Judah? A lion, right? Uh, How many of you have ever seen... um, the, uh, some tapestries or some uh, images of Great Britain and England, different places that have a lion with a crown on it with a big scepter. That's where, that's where they get this from. 
the, the, the concept of ruling under the authority of Christ. All right? And Great Britain at one time was a godly nation, and it has failed since then. But, uh, so it's that concept. Judah is the ruling tribe, the royal tribe, and the promise was that the scepter or the authority or the government would not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. Shiloh is a reference to Messiah. Now here's something really interesting, is because at about 6 AD, Roman authority took the right away from Israel to have capital punishment and to exercise their authority over their tribes. All right, that's recorded history. They did not have the right any longer. Roman government uh, took Israel, right? We know that, right? And uh, did not allow them any longer to have authority for capital punishment according to their law. Now, isn't that why they brought Jesus to Pilate? Right? You with me? Is anybody here tonight? Okay. Right? Because they did not have the authority to exercise their rule of law over them. Over their own people, right? So it's about 6 AD that that happened. And you already have Jesus born by that time. And so when did the scepter or the authority to govern depart from Israel? Shiloh had already been born and had come. Amen? All right. So that's awesome. So he is of the line of the tribe of Judah. How is it fulfilled? Look at Luke's genealogy. Luke records Joseph's genealogy, and it goes back, and it says that Jesus, uh, the supposed son of Joseph, uh, was the son of this and that and this, and a son of Ram, son of Hezron, son of Perez, son of Judah. So it goes all the way back. And so Luke is showing us that Jesus fulfilled the prophecy that he was born of the tribe of Judah. He is Shiloh who would come, and he is the king who would rule. And uh, I think that's important. I think also important is that Judah is the tribe of praise. Judah means praise. It is the tribe to which there is uh, exaltation and praise to God. Let's look at the third prophecy that was fulfilled. He would be a son of David. Jeremiah 23.5 says, The days are coming, this is the Lord's declaration, when I will raise up a righteous branch of David. He will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. God had given a promise to David, a covenant promise, that his seed would rule and reign on his, the throne of David forever. Now Solomon didn't do that, did he? And then Solomon's sons Jeroboam didn't do that, and all the kings that followed didn't. They all died and so forth. There was a king yet to come that was supposed to rule and reign forever. Does anybody know who that king is? It's Jesus, right? Now, there was a blind man, blind Bartimaeus, sitting on the side of the road. He wanted to get healed. He heard that Yeshua, Jesus, was walking by. Does anybody remember what he cried out as Jesus walked by? Jesus, thou son of David. What was he proclaiming by saying that? You know, he wasn't just saying, Jesus, your uncle's David, your great-grandpa's David. 
It was a statement of who he was. He was blind and didn't get to see all of it, but he heard about it. And he said, you're the son of David. That's a reference to Messiahship, authority. Jesus is the son of David who comes to rule and reign on his throne. God made a promise that he put into the earth realm that would last and be eternal in this realm of physical world unto David that his seed, his generation, would come and sit on that throne and rule from his throne forever. Jesus is that king. Jesus is going to return. Jesus is bringing the new Jerusalem and his throne to be set on Mount Zion and rule and reign from that throne forever. Amen? That's a fulfillment of prophecy. He is the son of David. Matthew 1.6 says, and he takes his genealogy and says, and Jesse fathered King David, then David fathered Solomon, by Uriah's wife. And again, through the genealogy, you'll come to Jesus. These are important names. In Matthew 1 and in Luke 3, these two genealogies, when you go back, they are very specific, very deliberate to say that Jesus fulfilled prophecy. It's not just a simple genealogy. It's important to the authority of Christ's office and to fulfilling prophecy prophecy isn't that amazing that even through all these different people when you look at these genealogies you look at there's some pretty messed up things in those genealogies how many of you know that jesus came from a messed up family he knows what a dysfunctional family is through his bloodline thank god he's not dysfunctional thank god he is perfect amen All right, now let's look at number four. We spent Sunday talking about this. He would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7.14 said, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel, God with us. Like I said, Sunday we spent the whole day uh, studying that and, and bringing that forth. So let me just give you the fulfillment to that in Luke 1, 26 and 34. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. All right, Nazareth. Do you remember what Nazareth means? Anybody here Sunday? Nazareth means what? Sprout, branch, small branch, right? Shooting from the stump of Jesse. That's Isaiah 11.1. Now, he came from a town called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. (laughs) I mean, when you see an angel and he comes and he says, hey, you got a lot to be happy about. And it's like, oh, I'm not sure. (laughs) Why are you here? But she was deeply troubled. The verse 30, then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, uh, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not been intimate with a man? 
Now look at the angel's statement. Right within the angel's statement, we see the fulfillment of the first three prophecies that I already told you about. He said that he shall be called the Son of the Most High, and he will sit on the what? Throne of his father, David. Fulfillment of prophecy. He will reign over the house of Jacob. Remember, the the scepter will not depart from Judah, who will rule over the house of Jacob or Israel. His kingdom will have no end. Now, Mary says, how can this be? I've not known a man. I've not been intimate. I've not had sexual relations. How can I give birth to a child? All right, so within that testimony, Luke the physician interviewed different people to give their accounts of how Christ was born. In the first chapter of Luke, in the first few verses, Luke is writing to Theophilus. And he says, great Theophilus, I am writing you of these accounts so that I, to let you know that I have interviewed, I'm paraphrasing, I have interviewed and sought and looked into these things by which I'm telling you. And so it's obvious that one of the people Luke interviewed was who? Mary. Mary. Because who else was there with Mary and Gabriel? Nobody. Says that Mary hid all these things in her heart. She pondered these things in her heart. All right, so Luke goes, okay, Mary, tell me the details. What happened? Then what did he say? Then what happened? Right? So he's, Luke's a physician. His handwriting may not have been very good, but he knows how to document. So he documents this. And he says this. Mary says that the G- Gabriel told her that God wants me to name him Jesus. Okay? Now, Jesus is Greek. That's not the name. That's just the Greek translation of the name. The actual Hebrew name that Jesus was named is Yahushua. All right? We would say Joshua. And so Jesus' name was Joshua, a very, very common name in Israel. But Joshua means Jehovah's salvation. So there was a lot of Jewish women and men who named their son Jehovah's salvation. This is God's salvation to my life. He'll give me good steady work so I can retire. That's my boy. But this is the real deal here. This is the real salvation of Jehovah. For He shall do what? Save His people from their sins. That's an awesome prophecy. Now, let's look to the next prophecy. Number five. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Bethlehem Ephratah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from eternity. Okay? So the one who is coming is from eternity. Jesus, the Word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. The Son of God eternally came into a physical body to bring the presence of God here on planet Earth. And so the Word, the Logos, the reason, the knowledge, the wisdom, the mind of the Father came, put on flesh, and He would be as a Son, and I will be as a Father, the Word of God says. And it says in Micah that He will be born in Bethlehem, Ephratah. Now, there's a fulfillment to that. And how many of you remember what happened when the wise men followed the star? They were following it. Now, we always say that there were three wise men. Traditions say there were three. 
Typically, they say there were three because we know that there were three gifts. Who's not to say that there were ten guys with each gift? Right? We don't know how many wise men there were specifically. They usually rode in caravans. But they were watching stars. And so they came. And remember when they came to Jerusalem to inquire, who is the ruler and great king? Because these Babylonian astrologers that would watch the stars knew that when certain stars were aligned and there was a a brilliance to a particular star, they believed and understood that a great ruler was born. They saw this one that was amazing and they followed it and they continued to watch to see where it led them. When they got to Jerusalem, they said, hey, where's the ruler? Where's the king? Herod said, I'm right here, pal. What's up? They said, oh, there is a great ruler that's going to be born. Where is he going to be born? Herod puts his scholars and cronies to work to find out, to search the scriptures. They do, and what do they come up with? Bethlehem. Where do you think they came up with that from? The scripture I just read to you. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's obvious. It's right there. Bethlehem, Ephratah, I'm going to bring a ruler that will be born out of you and he will come from eternity. He'll rule over Israel. Now, here's the fulfillment, Luke 2, 4. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of whom? David. Do you see how these all line up? Now here, God set this thing in perfect motion that he, he brought Mary who is of the line of David, and Joseph of the line of David. Put a baby inside of her, the virgin shall conceive, and yet the authority of the tribe of Judah is on Jacob, uh, Joseph, brought them together, and because they're of the house of David, he needs to get them to Bethlehem, so he has a Gentile ruler say, you know what, I want to take a census. So he calls for a census. All you Jews, we want to find out how many of you are under Roman authority or in the land. So you have to go to your hometown and go to the census so we can know who's who and uh, where you're at so we can keep an eye on you. Well, this is a setup. God set this all up so that prophecy would be fulfilled. Have you ever been set up by God? At the right place in the right time, He put you there and you thought you were just paying your taxes. So he sent them there. And this is awesome. God will arrange heaven and earth for his will to be done. And he can call the government to have something take place so that he'll have his will done way over here in Oregon or Bethlehem. And so she's pregnant, Mary's pregnant, but they have to go. And so they go for a ride to Bethlehem. And Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Now, here's prophecy number six. Jesus will be called out of Egypt. Hosea 11.1 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, Hosea is simply declaring what already took place in history. We already know that the twelve sons of Jacob went down to Egypt during the famine, right? And grew into a nation. And then Moses brought them out. And Hosea is just telling us that's that prophecy. 
But it goes deeper than that, doesn't it? It had deeper implications because Matthew tells us this in Matthew 2.13. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Why did he do that? Well, you remember he had to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem to fulfill that prophecy. And the wise men came to Herod to say where the king is going to be born. They found out it was Bethlehem. Herod went and killed all the babies in Bethlehem because he didn't want another king born. So they had to leave Bethlehem and go where? Down to Egypt. Until Herod's dead, the trouble's over, then they could come out of Egypt and again, another fulfillment of Scripture that God spoke of concerning Messiah. Now, number seven, another fulfillment of prophecy, the slaughter of the innocents says in Jeremiah 31, 15, this is what the Lord says, a voice was heard in Ramah, a lament with bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Matthew 2, 16 says, then Herod, when he saw that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the male children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, that Rachel was weeping for her children. All right? So, I mean, that's, that guy's pretty ruthless, isn't he, Herod? Can you see the danger? I mean, think about it for a minute. Why in the world would God put His Word in human flesh as a baby? I mean, really, do you know how dangerous that is? Obviously, from this story, it's very dangerous. And He, he, he makes Himself so vulnerable. By His love for us, God made Himself absolutely vulnerable for you. That was the risk of love. The risk of God's love that we could freely love Him back was to give us a free will. And in the garden, He gave Adam and Eve a free will and took all the risk that we would love Him or reject Him. That's huge risk. How many of you know that God makes great risks for you? He risks everything over you. I can't believe that Jesus would ascend to heaven and leave the kingdom of God to those 12 guys. 11. One of them already betrayed. And one denied, and he kind of patched that up for them. But he's taking risks. And he's counting on you to freely... By your own will, say yes, I will respond. He'll protect what He has put in you. He protected Jesus. He'll protect Him, but it was still a risk. And here you have Herod slaughtering all the babies two years old and under. Now, 
Bethlehem was not that big of a city. I'm not giving this as if it's some excuse to say, oh, well, it doesn't matter if 20 or 30 children were killed. No, it does matter. But I I want you to understand what we're talking about when we talk about Bethlehem. It was a small village. And so uh, when they came through to slaughter, you figure how many families were there, how many women were pregnant with boys that are two years old or under. And so they suggest that probably 25 to 30 children were slaughtered that day. Still, if one baby that was yours was slaughtered, you would care. Obviously. Now, those are very specific prophecies that were fulfilled concerning the birth of Jesus. You can see how they link together, how not only does one set off the next, the next, and the next, which, is, which it should because it's all about the same person. And so each of these are going to trigger one to the other and reach all the way back into the promises of the Old Testament that God had spoken forth so that when we now look at the life of Christ, we can recognize that God had purposed this all along. The prophets didn't know it. They didn't understand. Jeremiah didn't understand what Isaiah was saying. Daniel didn't understand what Ezekiel was saying or, or Hezekiah, Hosea, or Micah. They didn't know how it all fit together. You can't know these things. It's in the, the mystery and riches of God's own knowledge. You can't figure it out. It kills me, this society today. We're so scientifically minded that we have an expectation that if there really is a God, we should understand and know everything about Him. Really? Are you kidding me? Like, we're so smart. Science. We have science. We're so brilliant, aren't we? Give it ten more years and you'll look at what they discovered and go, that was stupid. But we think we're so smart. Don't let anybody mock you or laugh at you when you see the collective wisdom of God brought together in the prophecies of Jesus Christ. It is profound to see what God has done. Now let me cover one last prophecy. This prophecy has to do with you. And it comes from Matthew 1.21. And it is a prophecy over your life. And it's something that God spoke. And the prophecy goes like this. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Yeshua, Jehovah's salvation, because he will save his people from their sins. And so that prophecy rolls over time and human history to continue to manifest and be true. Because i got to ask you, Is it true for you? Did that prophecy come true? Did Jesus forgive you of all your sins? How about you? Yeah. How about you? You. See, everywhere in this room, this prophecy is real. It's not just a bunch of old prophecies that got fulfilled 2,000 years ago. They're real right now. This is a real prophecy that He shall come to deliver you from your sins. He has washed you clean from those sins. He has by His blood atoned for your sin by which your sins are forgiven. For the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We're forgiven. But not only that, He then invades us with His Spirit. 
He has to cleanse us of our sin or the Spirit of God couldn't dwell in us. Anybody think of this? We have some folks who think, well, I'm clean till my next sin. Then the next sin, I'm filthy before God and I need to get, you know, in a sense, I need to get saved again. I've got to repent or I could end up in hell. Good luck with that. That's the sin you're aware of. Do you know how much sin in you that you are unaware of? And if you haven't caught on to that one, wake up. No, this, this blood covers us completely. How could the Holy Spirit dwell in us unless our sin was atoned by the blood of Jesus? And so by that, He delivered us from our sins, saved us from our sins so that His Spirit could now dwell in us so that not only are we forgiven our sins, He will now teach us how to overcome the dysfunction of sin in our lives. This is huge. The church doesn't work at this. It's called sanctification. It's a process by which not only are your sins forgiven, not because you keep saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Enough with I'm sorry. Stop it. Overcome it. That's why He's dwelling in you so that this prophecy could be fulfilled right now in your life that you will be delivered from that besetting sin that you keep going to. He doesn't just want you to be sorry. He wants you delivered. So that his bride would be spotless and pure. And that's what he's working on in us. This prophecy is active and alive. Jesus, get this, get this, get this. Anybody, pay attention, get this. The book of Hebrews says that he ever liveth, ever lives. He's always actively interceding for us both day and night. Right now, Jesus is fervently praying for you. Now, in what direction is he praying? Okay? Because we think of that, and we think that Jesus is praying to the Father. Father, forgive them. I know they messed up again. Uh, don't hurt them. Don't. And that is such a wrong concept, but most of us have this idea. Jesus is praying to the Father to, to just keep us forgiven. Who justifies us? The Father. Who says that we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus made righteous? The Father. What, do you think he's so old he forgets? Dad, you forgave him last month. Stop. Don't do anything to him. Don't hurt him. If he's interceding day and night, which direction is he pointing? Towards the Father? No, the Father's already justified you, accepted you in the Beloved. He's towards you. Jesus is interceding to you. Jesus is praying so that you'll wake up. Jesus is praying so that you'll seriously do something about this situation. He's interceding for you, towards you, so that you'll be empowered and strengthened to respond to him. You getting this? This prophecy is alive and active right now in our lives. Not only is Jesus 
day and night interceding on your behalf, praying for you, interceding for you, ministering to you, sending some angels. Come on, come on. Go over there. Help this guy out. Come on, put some angels over here. Gabriel, send 10 more. This kid's in trouble. Go over there. Moving. Not only that, but there is the Spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you that is interceding for you with groanings that can't be uttered. Oh my gosh. Heaven is active on your behalf. And you know what we do? God, do you hear me? Will you answer my prayers? Where are you? Don't you know what I need? Yeah, he knows what you need. He is fervently praying for what you need, that you'll wake up to it. The Spirit is groaning and uttering inside. God, Jesus, I'm praying for this guy. Jesus said, I'm right there with you, Holy Spirit. See what's going on for us? Heaven and earth moving on our behalf. And so many times we think we're left to our own devices. Wow, that's so unscriptural. So unscriptural. If we would understand scripturally what is happening inside us and all around us by God's will, we would be blown away. We would no longer ask, where are you, God? What are you doing? We would be living a different life. Let's wake up to that. And so what does this all mean? What does it all mean? It means this. It means, let's, let's, let's go back. It means, number one, that if Jesus was of the line of Abraham, then he's the promised seed. He's the promise that God made and will never give up on. You know, when you look at the promises of Israel from Abraham and how many times they messed up, God never left them. God never departed. God fulfilled His promise. He will fulfill His promise to you. So if Jesus is the seed of Abraham, He is faithful in His promise. His name is faithful and true. So what He promised you, He will bring to pass. Secondly, He's of the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's from the tribe of praise. Will you live your life unto Him with praise. Will you respond to the prophecy that the authority comes in praise? That He, uh, all, uh, the scepter and the ruling authority of God will be manifest in our lives when we praise Him. When we exalt Him above everything else. When we extol Him above our needs and our wants. That's when the prophetic takes place. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The scepter. You're to set Christ, Peter says, as king or ruler of your heart, just as he would be of the tribe of David. And the scepter will not depart. The authority of God will not depart. When you're feeling weak and you have no power, when you're feeling broken and no authority, begin to praise the lion of the tribe of Judah. Begin to exalt him. And out of that praise, you'll see Jesus manifest in a greater way in your life thirdly we said he'd be of the line of the of david he is the king of kings and lord of lords what his decree is over your life is going to be he is the authority you should bow and revere him and praise the king of glory we don't see him as king enough 
What we see him as is our sugar daddy. We see him as, I need this now. I need that now. I need a better parking place in front of Walmart because there's too many cars. Really? My God's so good, he sent me 10 bucks in the mail. God bless you. He can do so much more than that. He's the King of glory. The King of kings and Lord of lords. More than the simple little things we want. But we've got to revere Him as King. We've got to see Him on His throne, high and lifted up. And when you do, you'll be ruined the rest of your life. Woe is me, for I am undone, said Isaiah when he saw the King of glory. Who do you think Isaiah saw on the throne? King Jesus. The image of the invisible God. What else fulfilled? A virgin shall come forth and give birth. He's a miracle working God. He's a God that will make the impossible happen. His fulfillment in your life of prophecy is that what cannot be, can be. Because God said it would be. What you don't think can come to pass, God can make it come to pass. There is no other person on earth that could fulfill the prophecies of Jesus. It was shut down. It was done. The curse against the Davidic line through Jehoiakim had shut down every promise. There was only one way someone could ever become Messiah, and that was a virgin birth, and God had planned it from the beginning. All the way back at the beginning in Genesis 3.15, He said, the seed of the woman shall crush the serpent's head. He knew it all along. And he waited for the perfection of time. It's the same for you. If he can make a virgin have a child with no sexual relations, what's he going to do in your life? He can make anything happen that needs to happen according to his purpose and his counsel and his will. He he brought them to Bethlehem. In your city, God knows your city. God knows where you're planted. He knows your geography. He knows where you are, when you should be there, and why you should be there. You want to talk about GPS? God's got GPS. God will get you where you need to be. If you will trust Him, that wrong turn you made, turn it into something that God wanted you to do. Turn it into a blessing. Recognize that you're not wandering aimlessly, but you are being directed under the guidance of God Himself. If He could get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem out of the blue, He can get you where you need to be too. You've got to trust Him. Last of all, here's this crazy thing. He came out of Egypt. He came out of that city, that desolate place. He'll bring you out of that desolate place. He'll bring you out of a place where you had to go for protection. Some of you have been so self-protective. You've put your armor on. You've been hurt. You've been abused. You had to put armor on because you couldn't trust anybody. You couldn't love because someone uh, abused you or hurt you. You had to hide in Egypt. You had to self-preserve yourself. And that preservation has kept you hidden. But the promise prophetically is He's going to bring you out of your Egypt. He's going to bring you out of your captivity. He's going to bring you out of your self-protection and bring you right back into the middle of where you should be in Israel. That's my God. That's Jesus. Some of you have been in Egypt long enough. Come home. Open your heart. And come back to the city of God. Come back to the place of freedom. Now last of all, this is the hard one. This is the really hard one. You hoop it up, pastor. You say some great things and some great promises. 
But there's a slaughter of the innocents even while salvation comes. How can this be? Think about it for a minute. How can this be? God brings and births the salvation of all mankind. And in that birth, babies are literally slaughtered. Now how does that, how does that float in your world? How does that work? How does it work that we believe in a God who heals and yet we've prayed and someone dies? How does that work? If God really cared, and you hear the atheists and you hear all the arguments where they say, well, if your God's so loving, why does He let all these people die? Well, they could say that right about when Jesus came. Your God's so loving, Jesus comes, He comes to save mankind, and all these babies are slaughtered and killed. Where's your God now? Saving mankind. The question is, where is evil man in the midst of all this? Man still has the ability to do what he will do. And evil people will still do what they will do. Last week, we buried Ronnie Smith. You know the story. You've heard it in the news. Here's this young man, 33 years old, goes over to Libya to share his faith and education, his trust to bring these young people to Christ, really, is why he was there. And he was gunned down in the streets. Where's your God now? Where's all your promises? Where's all your promises, God? Right? You hear that all the time, right? His promises were right within Ronnie Smith who laid his life down for the sake of others. Listen, this isn't about your ride. This is about His rule. This isn't about your comfort. This is about the glory of God. Evil men will always come against the glory of God. Satan will always attack where he sees a move of God. Where a promise of God is fulfilled, you can count on the devil stealing, robbing, and killing where he can so that he can make sure others will not trust and believe in that move of God. But you can't give up. Maybe some things have happened round about you where there is a promise fulfilled and the enemy comes in to kill, steal, and destroy. But you can't give up on your faith. You can't give up on understanding. You want God to fix everything. But He, by free will, has given men the opportunity to do what they will. And evil people, broken people, will do bad things, even in the midst of the presence of God. And so, we are slaughtered daily, says Paul. All for the sake of the Gospel. Our life is not about how long we live, but how great we live for Him. We've got to get that understanding. Amen? Amen? You're still like focusing in on that thing. You're trying to deal with it. But that's life, isn't it? How many of you can attest to life being that way? Even in the middle of a, middle of a, a glorious thing of God, evil man still exists. But how many of you know there's coming a day when he's going to say, enough of that? and enough of an enemy he will throw satan in the lake of fire he will throw his demons in the lake of fire he will throw death in the lake of fire he'll throw hell in the lake of fire and be done with it forever amen you're assured of that future and that hope because of the prophecy that said he shall deliver his people from their sins let's worship him tonight come on let's stand together and begin to praise him